Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. And uh, we're going to jump into, this is going to be the last chunk of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, and it kind of ends this section in 1 Corinthians, and so this will be the last one for that one for today. Heavenly Father, I just pray now as we uh, dig into your word, I ask now that you would give uh, me wisdom, uh, insight into this passage, Lord. I've been praying for that uh, over the last couple days, that I would have understanding as I was writing these notes. But Lord, in the end, we, we come here today, and I'm praying now for your spirit to guide and direct uh, the rest of this process, Lord, not just in what I'm saying, but also in everyone in this room as they're hearing your word. God, I pray that you would have brought the correct people to this building today to hear this particular message. And God, I pray that it would do its work. In your name I ask this. Amen. Okay, so uh, like I said, we're going to be in the end of 1 Corinthians. I'm kind of excited about this one. Last week I was uneasy, like, okay, God, where's this going to go? This week I'm, I, I'm really in, I enjoyed the preparation for this. It's a very simple, direct thing we're going to talk about. It does require a bit of a reminder. Um, and it has to do with something that was brought up in chapter 8. In the Corinthian life, food offered to idols was an issue. So to get you thinking that way, because uh, the, the food offered to, offered to idols, uh, to get you thinking that way, you have to understand that uh, how it worked, some of the best pieces of meat. Mmm. Mmm, look at that. Some of you are getting hungry. I can, some of you, I think my father-in-law just drooled a little bit. This is a dirty trick. Now, but here's, okay, so here's the thing. In Corinth, uh, the best piece, so they would bring this food, and this is just how things were done, okay? So, so it's, it's weird for us to think about it this way, but this is just how things were done. Uh, it, they didn't take it here to take it there. They would take it to the, the temple. It would be sacrificed to an idol, and then what was left over, the, those temple priests, Apollo's priests, whoever, they would take portions of it, but then some of those best, now if you, if you participated in idol worship, right, when they had their feasts and they had their meals, guess what you'd find there? The best cuts, right? They didn't have the beef house to go to, although they don't have the best cuts all the time anymore. And slid down a little bit. Uh, they didn't have the best cuts, right? But, so where, where'd you go to get the best cuts? The Apollo house, right? That's where you go, temple worship. Best stuff was there. Now, some of it that didn't get used for the feast would make it to the market, you go to the market, you might go to the Apollo market to get the best cuts of meat. And you'd know going there, it had been offered to that idol. And so you have to understand why this was an issue for them. Now the idol, just to give you a refresher here, this food offered to the idols, you got this, these things, you got the market, you got all this stuff happening. This is basically the only places to get good meat. The temple or the temple market. There were, might have been a few other places to get it, but are you going to find the best stuff there? No. It's like the difference between going to Rawhide and getting Walmart meat. <laughs> right? Now some of you are probably going, I thought that was pretty good. I don't, <laughs> it has been a while. I don't know. Um, now, the question that would come up for a Christian, as you can imagine, is it okay to go to this temple and get this meat? 
Just to summarize, no. Not the temple worship, no. What about here at the market? Some said no. Some said yes. That was the whole dilemma that we talked about in chapter 8. So to be as brief as possible, can you eat meat offered to an idol? Yes, you could. That's what they came to. The idol's nothing. Can you eat at the temple, at their feast or their worship? No, you cannot. That still represents, as we learned last week, a demonic power. Which means for some to eat it here could be a challenge. Because of this demonic power, as Paul called it last week, there's some that might go, man, I have the liberty to get it here because I know that idol's nothing. But there's some, and Paul said this, so that your brother and sister, they might feel empowered. They might see you getting this meat, and they might go, well, I guess I can do it too then. But there's some that because of that, that struggle they'd had in that arena, they get that meat here, and there's a little bit of them in their heart that goes, maybe they get it back. And maybe, they, maybe it might look like this. They, they bring it back home, and, and they know that God provided this, but there's a little bit of them because of their struggle, and because of that influence, they might go in maybe in the quietness of their heart, and, and thank you, Apollo. And there might be something there that could easily snag them and pull them back in to all that this life had to offer. I think that's where we begin to, we begin to understand this in our own day because we don't have idols the way they did. I did think it would be fun to say, well, because, in fact, this morning, it just so happened I was reading Ezekiel chapter 14 in my Bible reading, and Ezekiel chapter 14 is the passage where the prophet says, or the Lord is speaking through the prophet, and he says, go to the children of Israel and tell them, you've taken those idols and you've set them, you've set them up in your hearts. And that, that's what that chapter is all about, and he, he addresses those things. But I thought it'd be interesting to take some of our potential idols, because we don't give our idols names and faces, but maybe we should. Maybe it would help us to knock them down. So I think you may see where this is going, because you've known me long enough to know. I also thought this morning, as I'm, I'm getting ready to put up some pictures of some potential idols, I, I think that you also might think to yourself, because, see, I, I've known you guys long enough now. It's funny because when I bring up certain struggles or certain things, there's some of you that I know that rings a bell with because you make the same face. You're like, mm-hmm, that's me. And you look around to the people around you like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's what I'm struggling with, okay? So I have a feeling that might happen a little bit today. So let's, let's put up here, may, maybe... The idol of good times. Right? The idol of good times. You know what that idol looks like? I have no idea, but I guessed. How about this guy? <laughs> Doesn't he look like he's having a good time? Look at it. Yeah! <laughs> I actually have no idea what the name of that idol actually is, but I... I was looking for pictures of idols, and I thought this could, I, And some of you know, because see, that, that's something important. I mean, if you're not having a good time, at least sometime during your week, man, it, it just tears you down. And you're willing to begin doing whatever you can sinfully to get the good times. Now, we haven't given it a name, but maybe it might help. Maybe the next time you start to do something sinful to get the good times, this guy might pop in your head, and you might realize, wait a minute. How about this one? The idol of, I just want to feel good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is either, but he's got some chili peppers on his belly. He looks like he's having a good time, doesn't he? He's feeling good. Well, he is now. He won't be later. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -mm. Um, how about this one, this next one here? The idol of, uh, uh, I've struggled with this next idol, forget, forget your troubles, right? It can look a lot of different ways, but for me, sometimes it looks like this. Can you see me in the corner? Huddled up. Mm. Just quiet. Leave me alone. Right? Um, it's interesting that these idols, they manifest themselves in different ways. Not as a statue, right? Not, not even in that name. In fact, we, you may not even realize your sinful struggles are rooted in these idols. They take a lot of different ways that they manifest themselves. And I think that what we talked about last week is one of the most important things that we could talk about to say, you know what, maybe those things that you're struggling with or you have struggled with or that you've given into, those, those power houses of sin in your life, I think that if you pulled back the curtains, you would realize there's something like that sitting behind it. How about fits of anger, alcoholism, sex outside of marriage, mind-altering drugs. Couldn't those all be rooted back into something like this? How about the idol? This has a long name. The idol of I must be in control of everything all the time. I think that's the perfect face for that idol. That's also the idol that Indiana Jones took when he was in... <laughs> right? Remember that? Okay. Um, some of you look that way when things aren't going right. Some of you look that way towards others when they're not getting in line with your plan. Have you made that face to anybody lately? <laughs> I don't know who this, this is an, I mean, these are all actual idols. There's some idols, somebody's worshiping that thing. Uh, the idol of people must adore, people must like me. You like that one? A little fat baby. Now I found one that I think is also another one that I've struggled with. Behind the curtain, I've seen this guy sitting back here. This is the idol of, I must not be bothered by your trifles. <laughs> this guy even has a beard, and he's putting up his hand. Hold on right there. I'm pretty sure I've actually sat like this this week in the dean's office. Stop. <laughs> it's your kid drama. Right? Now, I bring these up because I thought it might be fun to think about it, but I'm telling you right now, the things that we're struggling with behind those things, I think you might find there's stuff like that. They don't look like that, really, do they? That maybe that's one of the best tricks Satan has pulled over the past few hundred years. Forget that stuff. Forget these little statues. But the idols are still there. And there's still a power there. And the idols say that we must honor them. They're important. We must do whatever it takes to appease them. There's a force at work there. Now, the reality is, those idols, they've lost their faces. They've lost their names. I think in some ways it's even more dangerous. But hopefully for us, I'm going to shift gears right now. You ready to shift gears? Into something else? I think for many of us, we look at those things and we recognize them now for what they are and they've lost their power. Right? Maybe like last week when we knocked it over, boom. And maybe it's an ongoing process. You're, not, you're having to do that all the time. That's okay. That's good. Daily, if you need to, knock those things down. They've lost their power. We've knocked them down. We've tossed them over. We might have to do it all the time, but they are nothing to us. 
like Paul says, the idol is nothing. Of course, like last week, we talked about how we must beware because we recognize there's still something there. But in general, because of the blood of Christ, we know they're defeated already. Those idols are laying on their backs, powerless, because of the blood of Christ in our lives. We might struggle, but it's different now. We're careful, but the idol, we've seen it for what it is. But because of that, what Paul does next in this passage is shift into a life principle. And this is where the rest of this is going to go so smooth. There's a life principle that comes into play. When we recognize what those things are and what they really are behind that, we're careful of them because of their demonic power. But we say, you know what? They're nothing. The blood of Christ has conquered that. We are free to live. Not under the power of any of these things. We're free. So Paul jumps back to something he actually mentioned in chapter 6. And so I'm going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. And here we go. Paul says again, now he's quoting a Corinthian motto. I think a Christian Corinthian motto. They know now these deep truths. These idols are nothing. That mean nothing. And many of them, I think, have been genuinely freed from those pulls. And so they step into the light and they go, all things are lawful for me. And, and in many ways, true. Not entirely. There's definitely some things God still says, don't do. But in general, I think they've, they've latched on to this idea that I'm free. All things are lawful for me. But then Paul, what does Paul say? He said this in chapter 6 as well, but all things are not helpful. Here's where the principle starts to play in. Yes, you're free, but... It, 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 you can just go do anything you want? Not necessarily. Even those things that God says are okay, there might be some other stipulation. There might be some other things to take into consideration. One thing specifically, which we're going to get to. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. Now, in chapter 6, he said, but not all things... He actually love how he phrased it. He said... I have liberty, like if you look at the Greek, it's almost like he said, I have liberty in all things, but I will not let anything take liberties with me. This time he shifts it and he says this. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now, who do you think? You guys are smart Christian people. Who do you think, or what do you think he's talking about when he says build up? All things are lawful, but not all things build, build up what? Is he talking about Buildings. What do you think? Is he talking about buildings? No. Oh, see, I knew you guys were smart. Talking about buildings? No. What do you think he's talking about? Weaker brothers? What, what I hear over here? Yeah, construct. Right, there's, okay, so there's all these other human beings around us, right? All the, yeah, you might have all these liberties now in Christ. For them specifically, I think you could talk about this meat. Yeah, I'm not going to this temple, but I know that this, that idol is nothing. Apollo's a statue. This is a great stake. Right? There's liberties. Or how about those who were Jews? You can have pork now. You can have catfish. You can eat shrimp. Right? It, we're not under those ceremonial things anymore. There's, there's these liberties that have come. All things are lawful, but, but is every single thing that's now been opened up to us, is every single thing at all times and always actually beneficial to the people around us. 
In chapter 6, like I said, he clarified it one way. This time he clarifies it another way. Let's continue this on. He's going to go a little bit deeper. He says, let, in case you weren't for sure, he says this, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. There are some verses in the Bible that need no explanation. This is one of them right here, isn't it? You don't have to study the Greek to figure out. You study the Greek, it says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. What it says. In fact, I'm pretty sure that every single person in this room knows exactly what that means. Don't seek your own good, but the good of your neighbor. So, yeah, all things are lovely, but what about your motive? What, what's driving you? What are you seeking in life? Don't seek your own good, but the good of your neighbor. This reminds me of things that Paul has learned from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus who says to love your neighbor as who? Yourself. He also says to love somebody else. Who else does he say to love? Yes, but there's somebody else. Your enemies. Ooh, interesting. Love your enemies. See, there's this principle that Jesus has laid down, and Paul is really just playing this out. Don't seek your own good, but the good of the, the, your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? It's the people around you. If you're not for sure, you can, tell, you can see some of your neighbors right now. All you have to do is this. You can do that. Try it. You see anybody? You see some people? Some of you are like, I don't want to make eye contact. Right? You ought not to be seeking just your, like when you come here, and we walk into this building, even on Sunday, especially on Sunday maybe. When you come here, are you thinking just what's good for me in this church service? Or are you thinking what's good for everybody else? You ought to be seeking not your own good, but the good of your neighbor. It's very flattering how many of you go, I really want to be in the service. I'm not going to lie to you. That's flattering. Thank you so much. It makes me feel good, like you want to hear me. But, but there's, there's, there's kids in this church that sometimes need some people. I can't go out and do it. I'm preaching. Right? There's some kids that come to this church. They need to learn about Jesus. And we need people to step up and say, I can do that. I can help with that. I'm willing to help. Instead of just coming in here and going, but I, I really need that sermon today. Maybe you do. But you know what? You shouldn't be here just seeking your own good. Okay? See, it's easy. This is an easy, easy sermon to preach, isn't it? Tough to hear. Easy to, easy to say. Now, Paul's going to go into a hypothetical. Let's go back to the meat in the market. That's why I had to bring that up. So he says this, take that principle, let's play it out. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising question on the ground of conscience. And then he says this quote from Psalm. It's a prayer that many Jews would have prayed before their meal. In fact, many Jews would have prayed this prayer before their kosher meal, which makes this a little bit more interesting. Their kosher meal, that they'd made sure that they had... They had, uh, for the Jew, they had this, this book, and I think it's called the Mishnah. Somebody might help me if I'm saying that wrong. Um, the, especially Paul, the Pharisee. And it was actually bigger than their Bible. Okay, it had more. And it was laying out all these rules. 
And so they would make sure before they ate anything, did I wash my hands the right way? Did I do this? Did I do this? And some of you know exactly what this is right. You're always checking to make sure you're doing everything right. And Paul just says this. Those people, hey, you guys that are also worried about making sure you do everything right, if you go to the market, don't even ask. Looks like a good cut, eat it. That's what, that's what he's saying here. And then you can pray. And you can pray this, this prayer that many Jews would have said, that's only for the kosher meals. And Paul would have just said, that's for anything you eat. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's God's. Claim it. It's his. Be thankful. There's our hypothetical. You're going to take it a little bit further. Let's check this one. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, so say he's, now he's taking it a step further. What about somebody that's not a Christian at all? If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, so, and he basically says, this is actually very interesting, you can dig into this. He said, if you're disposed, he doesn't say whether or not you should go or not. He just says, if you want to go, go. So an unbeliever invites you. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. He says, I think you could say why you should or maybe why you shouldn't. But he says, if you're disposed to go for whatever reason, I'm, I'm trusting, Paul says, I'm trusting your wisdom. If somebody invites you to go to their house to have a meal and you decide to go, this is what he says to do. Uh, eat whatever's set before you without raising question on the ground of conscience. Now, the word that's translated conscience could also be translated uh, self-awareness. So I think some of you can picture this. So you go to this, this unbeliever's house. They're not thinking whatever they have for you, they think is probably good for you and you should have it, right? So they bring it out. They set it before you. You go, okay, don't, don't start. Where did you get this? Where did this come from? Is this okay? I don't know. Some of you have been in situations like this where you're like, I don't know, should I, should I not? I think Paul's answering that question right now. Just, just what, they said it, eat it. Don't ask a bunch of questions about it. They're being hospitable to you. This is an opportunity. Take what's there. But what about, I, I think he's saying, don't go down the but what about road. Right? You're there in the moment. These people are trying to be nice to you. Accept it. It was said before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But now, he takes the hypothetical slightly different direction. So far, he's been really addressing those people that might be considered overly legalistic, where they're like, oh man, I can't make sure, I have to make sure I'm doing everything proper and right because this person and, and I think that even sometimes you may even go to somebody's house and, and they, might be, they might bring up something or do something that you're going to make a point to go I don't do that because I'm a Christian that's what he's fighting against right here okay now is there a limit to that obviously so but I think in general he's saying there's a general principle here but then he goes a different direction he says okay now but, but let's say you go there and somebody says to you so you're at this unbeliever's house they, I think, and we'll see this the way it's phrased, they, I think, because of what they're thinking about you, they go, oh, th this has been offered in sacrifice. Now, it's interesting, it doesn't say, this word that says offered in sacrifice is not the Greek word that could have been translated offered to an idol. It's a word that's translated, it could have been translated offered to a deity. Paul doesn't use the word to an idol. That's why it says offered in sacrifice. And so this person is saying this has been offered to a deity, to a God. Okay? Paul says, well, in that case, don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you. 
for the sake of conscience, self-awareness, but not, I don't mean your own conscience, but that person's. Now think this through. So this person has some sensitivity. Maybe it's because of somebody else that they've met. Maybe it's because of, you know, maybe there's another Christian that's like, I just don't, I can't eat the food to offer to the idols. Maybe they've seen that. They're kind of aware of this to some degree. And so they've invited you over and they say, oh, uh, th this has been offered to Apollo. Right? He says, in that case, don't eat. Oh, why? Not because you're conscious? No, you're good. Because of whose? That guy's. I think you may even be able to detect some of the reasons for that. Because in that moment, I mean, number one, I think it could be very confusing for that person. Because if you take it, they might be thinking in their head. Let, let me give you an example. For myself, uh, I would not have a problem at all walking into a pub that serves nice burgers. Okay? Um, now, I might walk into, what's like, uh, what's the one, Applebee, is Apple, what's the one over here? Is it Applebee's? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a bar in there, but I mean, I wouldn't have a problem eating there, because it's more, you think of, but, you know, now, there's some places that definitely known for other things. Me, personally, I, issues, I may not have any. But it, what, what do you think somebody might think if they saw me, Pastor Matt, walking in there? What are they going to think? They're going to go, I thought he was a pastor. What's he doing in there? It's going to be very confusing for them, isn't it? That's what Paul's talking about here. Okay? There might be something that, that you, have pro you don't have a problem with because you've studied the scriptures. But you know what? Our, we live in a culture that, I, I'm telling you right now, it, I'll give you another example, language. Right? There's some words you might, you might go, ah, I don't have a problem with that word at all. Right? But there might be some... And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You all know what I'm talking about because you go out there anywhere out in the world. It, people that have nothing to do with church or Christianity. Once they find out you're a Christian, they'll even start doing this. They'll say something around you and they'll go, Oh, I'm sorry. Now, I always usually go, Hey, don't worry about me. I'd be worrying about somebody else. <laughs> you might be offended. Um, but... But if you start using language like that, what, what do they say? I thought you were a Christian. That's what Paul's talking about, right? You, you have to be aware of other people's consciences. They, they're self-awareness. They might be somewhat, and here's the thing, I think that maybe even somewhat, they're starting to be aware of, of God, that he's something. Man, and, and you're playing a vital, key, integral role in how this plays out. And your number one prerogative, number one thing that you ought to be thinking about is not what you're free to do, but you ought to be thinking about, number one, all these people around you, how what you do might affect them. How, how what you do might cause them to stumble. Not just your brothers and sisters in Christ, but also all these people that are not saved at all. But they might be getting some awareness, and they might have some false ideas about what Christians ought to do and what ought, they ought not to do. But you know what Paul, I think, is saying Go with it. Because your number one thing is not that you get all your freedoms. Your number one thing is all these people around you. Seek not your own good, but the good of your neighbor. Now, the next verse, verse and a half, the end of 29, the beginning, of, and then all of verse 30, 
every commentary I said, this is a weird verse to understand because I'm going to put it up there and you're going to go, it almost sounds like Paul's going back against what he just said. I have two solutions. Both are possible. I'm going to put it up there. Let's read it. Let you feel it for a second. He says this. Why should my liberty be determined for someone else's conscience? That's exactly what some of you were thinking. Why should my liberty, and maybe that's what you think, especially if it's something you really want to do. And just because you know somebody might get offended or bothered that you did this thing, you might go, why should my liberty be affected by someone else's conscience? But they get it. What they want trumps my freedom. I think that what Paul's doing, there's one of two possibilities. I think that this actually might be better understood this way with some quotes around it again. I think it's possible that Paul is using another Corinthian Christian quote. I can almost hear some of those Corinthian Christians saying, Why should my liberty in Christ be determined by this pagan's conscience? Can you hear them saying that? Why should my liberty in Christ be determined, not just the pagan, maybe this weaker brother? Why should my liberty be determined by somebody else's conscience? Just because they think it's bad, I shouldn't do it? I mean, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? I think that's the best explanation right there. It's also possible, even if it wasn't a quote, Paul was asking a rhetorical, sarcastic question here. I think he's foreseeing their potential retort back to him. And he's saying, boom. So he ends with this. He shifts back from that. That might be your retort. He comes back to his statement, and he says this. This is one of the, one of the first verses my mommy made me memorize. So whether therefore, I'm gonna, I have to say it the way I memorize it, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Great principle to live by. Everything you do, whether you're eating food, drinking, whatever you do, what should you do it for? God's glory. Glory is a tough thing to understand. You might think of glory this way, to make something look great. Now, so when I say glory, you can think, make something look great. But now, it's not making things, and I, I, I'm, I stole this example from another pastor, it's not making things look great the way a microscope makes things bigger. See, a microscope, what does a microscope do? Take something tiny, makes it look bigger. That's not... The same, that's not what glory means. Glory is more the way a telescope makes things look bigger. If you point a telescope up at Jupiter, Jupiter's huge. And like the Earth is like this big Jupiter. I mean, it's, I mean, it's huge, magnificent. Have you seen pictures? Or Saturn. You see pictures? This amazingly huge power. I mean, the, the gravity, the forces of gravity that are associated with Jupiter would crush you. I mean, if you tried to, I mean, it's not like you could even land on it. There's storms on Jupiter that are five or six times bigger than our whole planet. Like the big red spot, you've seen the pictures of that? 
Big red spot. I mean, that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years that we know of. When you point a telescope up at it, I mean, if I see it in the night sky, which there's some times where if you know how to look and you know where to look, you can see it. It looks like just another star, just a little dot. What's a telescope do? It reveals the greatness that's there. Right? Some of my other favorite ones, there's, there's certain telescopes that they can use to look directly at the sun to magnify it, but they have to use all these filters because it's so glorious and so, it's burning intensity. You can't just go out and look at it. But you can look at it through these certain telescopes. And if you've ever seen pictures of the sun through these filters, you're like, that thing's amazing. Like these swirling, bigger than our whole planet, looks like flame, just sw- I mean, just huge. That's what it means to glorify God. He is glorious. We are to do everything within our power so people see that. Everything that we do ought to be done for the glory of God. That sounds nice, Matt, but what does that actually mean? In the context, in the context, it's all about how you love your neighbor. See, if a person goes... But what about my freedoms? You're not making God look very great. But if you go, I would give up anything so somebody else could see how great he is, you in that act are demonstrating the greatness of God. Because if you're willing to give up whatever it takes so people can see that, what are you doing? You're glorifying, you're making him look great. So it's not about, oh, I just want this for myself, or I want to enjoy this, or I want to have this. It's all about saying, what can I do in my, this limited time on this earth to make God look as great as he is? I'll never make him look as great as he actually is, but if, if I could do one thing, one little thing, just something here or there to, to, to maybe help somebody's eyes be open to see how great God is. Man, I want to participate in that. Paul comes right back to this in case you weren't sure about this, giving glory to God is really all about how you love those people around you. He's been talking about it all along. As soon as he says this, he jumps right back to it. And there's three things here I don't want you to miss. Number one there, he says, give no offense. Give no offense. And so let's look at that one first. I make it a little bit smaller there so I can fit my points underneath. Give no offense. This word is connected to the idea of blameless. But give no offense, and he says to three groups, the Jews, the Greeks, or to the church of God. So everybody out there, everybody in here. That's basically all that says. Everybody out there, everybody in here. Give no offense. There's some people that are easily offended. This is a tough one to carry through, isn't it? But that's what you're shooting for. Why? Because I want to glorify God. I'm not just out in this life to make my life better. I'm out in this life to bring God glory, and the way I can do that is how I treat others, and I can start by giving no offense, being aware. What are they like? What's going on with them? Being aware of what's happening there. I have a hard time with this. Charity, she's great at this. She's very aware of everybody around her and how they're feeling and what they're thinking. I, I think that's a gift. I, 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 can, I can be oblivious sometimes, <laughs> right? Or even worse, not care. Some of you know. There's some people out there you go, I don't care what they think. Well, you can't read this passage and keep thinking that way and still bring God glory. You ought to. You ought to care what people think. You ought to care about how they're viewing you and how they're seeing you. 
Well, I shouldn't have to just live my life or whatever I was going to. Yes, you should. If you're reading this passage, you should take into account people around you. What do they think? What, what, what are they seeing? Is my life demonstrating God's greatness or not? Second thing he says there, oh, this will be tough. I try to please everyone in everything I do. I looked up that in the Greek, and again, I know I've used this joke once, but I think it's funny when I do, so I have to throw it in there. I looked it up in the Greek, and it says, I try to please everyone in everything I do. Well, please, surely that means something different. No, it meant please. Try to please people around you. Well, I won't be a people pleaser. Maybe you should be, according to this verse, to at least a degree. Trying to please every, and Paul, and every, and everything I do. Every, everyone around me and everything I do, I'm trying to please the people around me. And finally, number three, do not seek your own advantage. That's what he says in that. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. And he gives that reason at the end. Do you see it? That they... Maybe say, I want them to see God's greatness. So instead of going into asking the question, what's in it for me? How is this going to benefit me? That ought not to be if you are sitting here and God is great to you and you want God to look great to the people around you, the question ought not to be the forefront of your mind, what's in it for me? That question needs to be destroyed right here, right now, today. It ought to be demolished. It ought to be demolished when you go to work and you're working with that one employee. You know that person's name? Don't say it out loud. You know that one, don't you? Let me ask you, if you, if you got a coworker, rubs you the wrong way. Anybody had one of those? Maybe in the past. How about, how about a neighbor? Right? How about an acquaintance that you just you feel like you run into them all the time? Right? You ought not to be seeking your own good, but the good of that person as well. In everything that you do, in what ways can you show the greatness of God to them by showing love to them? How can you do that? That's where our minds ought to be. This is demonstrated... I think in its ultimate greatness in what this is meant to help us remember was Christ seeking his own good or our good when he went to the cross. What do you think? Isn't it demonstrated there? When we think of, well, well, how far do we take this? How, how, what, what might it cost us to be seeking the good of those around us? The picture? The cross. He did that for us. He turns around and says, now come, follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. Do as I have done in this life and follow me. Some of us are trying to get heaven right now. There's a heaven waiting for us, isn't there? This life is meant to be pictured in, not good, good times, not feeling good, not leave me alone and don't bother me with your trifles. None of those gods of this world 
This life is meant to be for us as Christians pictured in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus says when people say, I want to follow you, he says, count the cost first. If you're willing to deny all things, then come follow me. The purpose of what we do here, and we're, we're actually working on some ways, especially after last week, there's some, there's some things I think we've lost in how we do this. So we're, we're, we're actually formulating ways to make this even more meaningful. One of the things we're looking at, because when Jesus, when he uh, takes the bread, what's he say? He says, um, this is my body, which is broken for you. And I think that when he would have done that, he would have been tearing that bread. We're looking at some ways to get some bread up here that I can tear when I talk about that part. Right? When he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you, we're looking at some ways because it's already poured. You're missing something. I think it might be good to see that, that blood poured out for you to help us visualize and remember what Christ did for us. To, to even think about a life that's just poured out for people. That would be a good visual, wouldn't it? We don't have it ready yet, so you're going to have to visualize it with me. You think you can do that? Now, I'm going to do what we always do. I'm going to have a couple guys come up in just a second. I'm going to have them come up. They're going to take the stuff. I'm going to read through this passage. We're actually almost to this passage in 1 Corinthians. It's in chapter 11. We just finished chapter 10. So we'll be talking about leading right into this coming up in the next couple days. But Paul's going to say these things. So we're going to read through this as those guys, after, they, after I pray for this and pray a blessing on it, like the, the way Christ would have done, bless this cup and bless this bread, they're going to distribute it. You're going to hold that little cup, bread, little cup, grape juice. I want you to use your imaginations today and think about that body that Christ had that was broken for you, that blood that he shed that was poured out, a life poured out for you. And as you think about those things, I want you to think, okay, Lord, help me to follow in your steps. I've been selfish. I've been living my life, and I get so frustrated when things don't go the way I want, and I, I just keep wanting, can't I just have something good in this life? When does my turn come up? I hope that today you go, I don't want it here. I don't want it here. Lord, if you want to pour my life out so that others may see how great you are, then pour it out. This is tough to pray. Lord, if you want to, if you want to bring whatever hardship you want so that I might show my faith and my joy in Christ alone, in the midst of trouble, Lord, then let it be. Because I want my life to be poured out to bring glory to you. But whatever needs to happen. And so maybe as you're taking that bread today, you might be able to do that a little bit deeper and say, Lord, I, th these, these things, they mean nothing to me, but I've been letting them speak into my life still. I want my good times. I want, my, I want to feel good. I want, I want the, the life of ease. I want these things to go smoothly. I want to be in control so things aren't getting out of control. I want all those things. Those, those idols have been speaking into my head still. Lord, I want to knock them back down. Lord, whatever you want is what I want. And Lord, I'm ready to go the distance. And so when you take this bread today, I'm going to be praying with you. Lord, let, let, this, let me remember what you did for me because I want to follow. When I step out these doors, I'm ready, I want to follow you. No longer am I going to seek my own advantage. I'm going to be tempted to, God. I know I'm going to be tempted to. Help me to ignore that. Help me to walk away from that and not seek my own advantage, but to seek the advantage of all those around me. Help me to have eyes that are open Monday morning and 
Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday through the middle of the day that are just looking around at these other people. Help me be aware, not just seeking what I want, but Lord, what is good for them and brings glory to you. All right, I'm going to have those two guys come on up and I'm going to pray as they're coming up. When I'm done praying, they're going to distribute. I'm done praying, they're going to distribute, and then I'm going to have, uh, have you just wait a second, and then I'll lead you through the rest. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, God, for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for this bread and this cup, and I ask you now, in the name of Jesus, that we would remember all that you've done for us, the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us, and I pray that you bless this bread and this cup, that all who partake of it today would, in the sincerity of their hearts, be ready and willing to follow after you. Lord, they might be afraid of what all that might mean, but help them to take that step of faith and say, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want that. I know I do. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm nervous about what all that could mean, but God, I'm going to trust that you will bring me through, that there won't be any trial, temptation that has taken us. It's not common to man, and I'm going to trust that you're faithful and you're not giving me anything greater than what I can handle. And with everything you bring my way, Lord, that way of escape will be there, that I might bring that glory back to you. I pray this now for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.